Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to the program. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm so delighted that you decided to join us to talk all things about your landscape, your gardens, whether you're growing pretty things or whether you're growing productive things. But I find that the productive things can be pretty as well. I hope that uh, you've had a great week in your landscape. Of course, the weather we've been having is classic Georgia, right? Cold, warm, wet, blue skies just take your pick what is the old saying if you don't like if you don't like the weather in the south or in georgia just stick around just hang around for a little while because it's always going to be changing and of course those warm days that we have here and there are doing a couple of things for you and me they are maybe encouraging us and reminding us that spring is on the way that spring duties are just around the corner but the other thing that these little bits of warm weather do is they encourage the plants as well and you may notice some things starting to open their buds which is not ideal particularly one of the the worst things that happens when we have these periods of warm days in the later part of winter is it gets our hydrangeas going. Now, I'm not talking about the panicle hydrangeas, the cone-shaped ones, or even the oak leaf hydrangeas. I'm talking about the blue and pink hydrangeas, the classic hydrangeas that you and I know and love. And of course, what happens is this warm weather will encourage them uh, to start opening their buds. But then we know that the warm days are not going to stick around. They're not going to stay. We're going to get cold again. We're going to have nights that are in the freezing like we've had. And so when a bud on a plant starts to open, it becomes susceptible to cold or winter damage. And of course, hydrangeas are notorious about doing this, opening up over winter, getting their buds zapped. And then that reduces the number of blossoms that they will have come this spring, late spring, early summer, because they bloom on those buds. Their flower buds are already formed. They formed last year. So ideally, we would hope that these buds would stay nice and tight and protected from the cold winter chill. But it doesn't always happen. So we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. But on today's program, we're going to be talking more than just frigidity. We are going to be talking about your gardens and your landscape. Because as I promised last week, I'm a week behind for our Q&A session. But of course, I promised to do that here at the beginning of February. So we will be answering your January questions today. So I hope that um, you hang around for all of these questions. We've got some good good questions and quite timely. Maybe some are a little uh, late to the party, but that's okay. Uh it doesn't matter. I'm going to explain to you uh, what's going on in today's program later. So anyhow, of course, if you have never joined us for New Southern Garden, we welcome you. 
And we thank all of those who have been listening, of course, and we thank you for your questions that you send in. You make this part of the program quite special and unique because as much inspiration or education or ideas I may give you, I love to know about your specific needs and your specific problems. Of course, like I always say, we love to hear about your success stories. So we do have a success story that goes along with a question today, and that is a wonderful thing to hear. Also here at New Southern Garden, we have opened up the world of video. And of course, on YouTube, you can search for New Southern Garden, and you just see our little logo there, and you'll find all the videos that we've uploaded since, so about the last week of December. So it's kind of a new thing, but of course, by you watching and subscribing to the YouTube channel, that's going to help promote the uh, gardening goodness and education and all that stuff that we love to talk about here on the radio program. Uh, so just check us out at YouTube. Of course, uh, last week we had a video about stratifying your perennial seeds. If you don't know what stratifying is, don't worry because it's all explained in that YouTube video at New Southern Garden. And of course, we are doing some short YouTube shorts, they call them, which are just one minute, 60 seconds, no longer than 60 second videos. So they give you burst of tips and ideas for your landscape last week. Uh, uh, this upcoming week, I'll go ahead, since you're our um, continued listener here on the program, I'll let you know that we'll be talking about great evergreen screens for privacy. So evergreen plants that are going to give you that privacy you're looking for, trying to get those wandering neighbor's eyes out of your backyard. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And our long form video, uh, somebody had asked on YouTube when we talked about uh, my raised beds, they said, hey, could you... Could you show us how you built your raised beds? I really like the look of them. So that will be upcoming as well. So there's a lot going on uh, with New Southern Garden. Whether you're listening here on the podcast, of course, you can uh, find this program. It comes out live on a local station here in Northeast Georgia. But if you are listening online... Of course, you can find that at NewSouthernGarden.com and on your favorite podcasting apps. Well, that's a long enough commercial for the program. I just want to make sure that you know how you can keep in touch with us, whether it's NewSouthernGarden.com on Facebook, Instagram, and of course now on YouTube. So we love to uh, get out there and, and meet people and of course uh, maybe help them, inspire them. And on days like today, we love to help you in your landscape. So that's exactly what we're going to jump into. Uh, even though we have a lot of questions, and I know that I'm running late, and I apologize for that, I do want to um, address as many questions as we possibly can. The first one comes here in from Georgia, uh, in Pooler, Georgia, and this is a repeat questioner. We appreciate you, Nancy. Uh, Nancy in Pooler, in 2022... We, well, I think we, I remember us talking to her about arborvitaes, and she says that her arborvitaes are doing well, so we appreciate that. Now, Nancy says that she's researching poppies, white poppies. Which poppies grow in Pooler, Georgia, and is there a perennial variety? Well, Nancy, I think I've mentioned poppies before on the program, but not really to many, much detail because, of course... I don't know where to start with this question. Do I shatter the dreams or do I just give you inspiration first? No. Uh, the reason I don't talk much about poppies is because poppies are not necessarily ideal in our climate. And I'm going to go ahead um, and answer your question with several varieties or species of poppies that you may want to look into, but I will give you the uh, their habit, how they tend to grow, and how we might use them in the South. And then I will uh, t uh, recommend to you which ones... I think are most Southern garden worthy. 
So the world of poppies, of course, um, is quite robust and has a steeped history. We've been using them for a long time. But in summary, I will say that all of these types of poppies we're going to talk about, all but one maybe, they all prefer cool nights. And you know that our nights, particularly over the growing season, are not very cool. And and they really just don't love to be um, in our heat. The sun itself is not a problem because poppies do like sun. But of course, here in the South, we have a certain kind of sun, do we not? A very hot, intense sun. And so we find that trying to grow poppies as perennial, to answer that question, that part of the question, Nancy, is very tough. Trying to grow perennial poppies or poppies as perennial is quite difficult. So we may have to, when we grow these poppies, we may have to grow them year after year or maybe encourage them to scatter their seed on our planting beds, uh, in our flower beds, so that then they are producing themselves year after year. Um, but you may have to coax them a little bit because they don't love the, the summer in particular here in the South. Let's start by talking uh, about a few of these poppies. I've got five. The first one, of course, is probably the most well-known poppy to some degree. This is sometimes called the field poppy, the corn poppy, or the common poppy. Now, I prefer its other name. It's got a, it's a poppy of many names, uh, the Flanders poppy. And that's relatively a new name because this is the basically classic scarlet red four to six petaled poppy with on these long peduncles, which is very tall, naked stems. And this is the common field poppy of Europe that you see in a lot of photos and videos. And it became a symbol for all the blood that was spilt in World War I, where, of course, it easily grew on those war-torn, ravaged landscapes in the battlefields of Belgium, notably, uh, including Flanders. And that's how it got its most recent common name, Flanders poppy. And see, these soldiers who were returning from World War I, they often had those vivid memories of the wild red poppies that were growing in those worn, torn European landscapes. And so, by the end of World War I, this poppy became a symbol not only for that blood spilt in the war, but also for all those sacrifices of lives in the war, along with the continued hope that their death had not been in vain. And it was, of course, after World War I, that people started growing these, bringing them into their gardens and landscapes. It became quite popular. And you may know, though, that even today, millions of these crepe-papered poppies, because they do look like crepe paper, are distributed throughout the U.S. on Memorial Day, honoring those vets who died in war, and on Veterans Day, honoring those living in war, uh, or lived through war and served in the military. So this became a symbol, a very symbolic plant, and it's beautiful. Listen to what um, one author wrote. In Flanders, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely sing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. And of course, these are some beautiful images. You can uh, search for Flanders poppy, corn poppy, common poppy, and you'll see these fields of red and red. And they're quite beautiful plants. But the, um, the Flanders poppy is really listed at zone 3 to 10, which is a very wide range. Now, of course, the zone that I'm talking about refers to the USDA hardiness zone, which means that they can handle the coolest temperatures in 
zone three, all the way to the coolest temperatures in zone 10, which is quite warm. That would be in, in Florida uh, for us here living in the south. So you can grow these, but particularly over the cool season, be, because by the time our summer starts raging, or really it may be even in the spring when we start getting that heat, then these poppies tend to just wither away and disappear. So ideally, these poppies, as you'll find with some other poppies I'm going to talk about, are best grown by planting them in the late summer or early fall, letting them grow out. They have no problem here in zone, well, you know, where we are in northeast Georgia, it ranges between zone 06, 07, and 10. I'm sorry, 6, 7, and 8. I don't know how to count, Mr. Producer. Uh, but 6, 7, and 8 is no problem for these plants to overwinter. So if you start them in the summer, let them grow all winter. I say summer, late summer, early fall. Let them grow all winter like you would with your cabbages uh, and your broccolis and these things. Let them grow. Be a part of that cool season winter landscape. They won't have any problem um, with the winter temperatures we have because folks, they can handle as low as zone three, which is like northern Wisconsin, I believe. Now they get really cold, negative double teens, double double tens, I'm sorry. So like negative 20, negative 30 degrees. So these are quite hardy plants. So there's no problem with us growing them over winter. But then in the spring, they will bloom for us. But by the time the, uh, the heat rages, they may disappear and they're done. Some other poppies that you may look into are both the opium poppy, which is Papaver somniferum, and the oriental poppy, which is Papaver oriental. Now, both of these I kind of group together. Yes, the opium poppy is the poppy that illicit materials are made from, but it's also the poppy that you would have on your breads and your scones, the poppy seed that you see there. Um, there is some problems maybe in your area. You may have to look this up. Um, even though it's not illegal, I think I did mention this a few weeks ago, even though it's not illegal to grow poppy in the state of Georgia, um, you can get in trouble for the intent of growing it. Why are you growing it? <laughs> there is a story, um, that I read in the news several years ago, a, a lady was arrested because she was growing poppies in her backyard. Um, of course, these plants are from China. I believe the individual arrested was Chinese, so it's a cultural plant for her. Um, I'm sure she was growing it for one reason or the other. But of course, if you're suspected of growing it for illicit reasons, then that crosses a line. But they are beautiful plants. They are beautiful flowers. They, are, they can be quite blousy. They come in all shades of color, maybe except for blue. Um, but again, the opium poppy, the oriental poppy, they are are out there the seeds are available but remember that they really aren't going to do well by planting in spring and trying to grow them through summer when we get back from this break i'll give you more details on these plants and which poppy i think would be the best for your southern landscape hang on tight Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, before the break, we were talking about, well, of course, Nancy, um, she sent in a question about growing poppies in the South, particularly South Georgia. And I guess in short, I should just say that it's going to be difficult. It's, it's difficult to grow poppies in many places in the South, maybe at higher altitudes where the summer isn't so so brutal. But we can do it. We just have to time it right. And with most poppies, particularly the first three we've talked about, such as the Flanders poppy, the opium poppy, the oriental poppy, these poppies do like cool nights. Uh, most of them do. <laughs> but I do want to make a few more notes on the um, the opium poppy and the oriental poppy. Of course, Papaver somniferum is the opium, opium poppy's name. And that poppy gets its name because, of course, the exudate that it exudes that's the same word, isn't it? <laughs> it's exudate makes you go to sleep. It makes you somniferum, right? It makes you sort of in the slumber. And you may remember, um, I like to call this poppy the Wizard of Oz poppy, or maybe more specifically, the Wicked Witch of the West poppy, because this would be the poppy that she threw into that field to block Dorothy and her fellow mates from getting into the city. Oh, poppies, poppies, poppies. And they all pass out and fall asleep for a while. Um, so, of course, you know, this may be a good time to talk about plants, uh, their origins, and their uses. Because uh, plants are an interesting thing because, of course, depending on what area of the world they come from, it's not just the plant that you take with it, it's also the usage that you take with it. And think of corn, for example. Corn is a uniquely uh, Native American plant. It's native to the Americas. And of course, the Native American peoples, they were using corn as a crop, as a food crop. And so had the settlers come here and not learned how to use corn and the benefits it has, the nutritional value that it has is quite nutritious. Of course, it's got plenty of carbohydrate. Um, but think of the ways that corn can be served. Of course, corn in particular could be eaten fresh, the sweet corn. Uh, the corn could be dried and ground into uh, uh, be milled. And of course, the corn grit or the, well, we call them grits, don't we? But this would be used in baking, you know, my favorite is cornbread and of course corn tortillas. These would be wonderful things to consume. And of course, certain varieties of corn, the popcorn, uh, it can be popped and eaten as a nice snack. And of course, that's revolutionized the way that we watch movies, right? So the material, or, or rather the plant, not just comes from a place, but it also has a certain usage. And that would be the opium poppy, of course, is turned into a certain uh, illicit drug now. But that came over and, of course, poppies are grown all over. So you may want to check before you look into growing certain poppies if you legally can. Of course, in our state, they're not illegal, but the certain way in which you may intend to grow it uh, might be. An intention is what's illegal, not the plant itself. Um, but these poppies, of course, they are about the same zone um, the opium poppy is about zone three to eight, and the oriental poppy is three to seven. Now, of course, that just means 
that it can handle your coldest temperatures. But the reason it probably is not listed any further than zone seven or eight is because it will be too hot to even consider trying to grow it. So if you're trying to grow the um, Flanders poppy, the somniferum, or the oriental poppy, these poppies are going to be best grown in the fall and grown all winter long, and you will get a wonderful bloom out of them for spring. But of course, of course, that means that as summer revs up, they may disappear. Now, the last poppy that I want to, true poppy that I want to talk about is the Iceland poppy or Papaver nudicol. Now, this is a poppy, I think it's one of the best poppies. All these poppies we're describing um, have very papery petals, just a few of them. Of course, some of them are doubles or semi-doubles and quite blousy with a ton of petals. Um, and the Iceland poppy is the same. Now, it's not the largest poppy flower that you'll find, but it grows in subarctic regions. If poppies are not going to be best suited for us in the uh, summertime, then we might as well look at the poppies that would be best for us and can handle our cold temperatures, which aren't really that cold because Iceland poppy it can grow in zone two. Now, that's even further north than northern Wisconsin. So with that in mind, this is about a zone two to seven plant, and that would be if it was trying to be grown perennial. It could be a good perennial, but again, for us in the South, it is not the best perennial because it's not going to love our summers. So right now, the greenhouses at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is quite full of these Iceland poppies. Not many people know that this plant exists or even what it is, but I do think that it's one of the best flowering plants that we could grow over uh, fall, winter, and earliest part of spring. They really have no problem growing over our cool temperatures. Now, we do grow them in the greenhouse. They get a little extra protection. But even in a cold climate like this, they do put out a number of leaves and bulk up pretty quickly. Now, I started these Iceland poppies fairly late, even though you could start seeding them as soon as you kind of get that first cool day in the uh, maybe early part of fall. Let them flush out and grow. They're not going to bloom until after that cold period is over. But this is a subarctic plant, so it's very uh, easy to grow in our fairly mild winters. I mean, I guess the coldest it's gotten here this year so far, at least in my garden, is in the teens, the high teens as well. And that is nothing like the subarctic zone two that the Iceland poppy is used to growing in. They come in a variety of colors, just like other poppies. A lot of times we see the oranges and the yellows and the reds and the whites, but you may find some colors in between those. And I love them because they do flower on this very tall, straw-like, naked stem. They're quite hairy, which is kind of how they get their name, Nudicol, just refers to hairy. The buds themselves are big and, and um full and they have these little tiny dark hairs on them which is kind of cool and then of course when they open up they show off those very papery very papery like blossoms I mean they almost look like they're made out of crepe paper uh, it's just a beautiful plant. And of course, it's one of those things that you can interplant in your pansies. Um, it could be something that gives you height in your containers, your fall and winter containers. You know, a lot of times we're just growing pansies and violas um, and of course snapdragons. They give you height, but this plant gives you just an entirely different look. And if you filled a garden bed with it, 
I, the best way I can describe sort of a broad planting of these Iceland poppies is mythical. Um, it's like walking into this wonderland, you know, very, very interesting in the way that they present their flowers. And of course the colors, it's just bursting with colors. I I do see a lot of pinks. I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but Iceland poppy is really great to grow over winter. Just like some of these other poppies. I just find that Iceland does better for us, uh, because they get blooming earlier than maybe these other poppies. And of course they don't last any longer than the poppies that we talked about previously, but because they love the cold, they grow faster over the winter for us, and they're a great fit. Now, are they perennial? No, they could be, but they really won't be in our climate. So what I would encourage you to do is let those flowers go to seed uh, and collect seed and start them again, or allow them to drop their seed on the ground, um, so maybe scatter them in your raised beds to grow them out so you can put them um, in the landscape where you want them later. But by Letting them cycle through that natural process of blooming, going to seed, dropping the seed, you can ensure that you have some plants the next season. Um, And even though there's not true perennial, it's a way to keep those flowers in the garden and in the landscape. Now, the last poppy, I know we got about a minute uh, and I do want to squeeze this in, but the last poppy is probably going to be, uh, for you, Nancy, if you're looking for perennial poppy, your best choice. Now, this is not a true poppy. It's not in the papaver group of plants, which would mean true poppy. This is the Esotia, I can't say it, Esotia, I, I practiced this before, I promise. Esotia californica, and this is the California poppy. So this plant is zoned at zone 6 to 10, which of course shows you that it's not nearly as cold hardy. It's not going to grow very well above 6 as a perennial. Um, of course, you could probably grow it anywhere over the um, the summer. But for us, we would consider it a short-lived poppy. Not that it can't handle our cold weather and come back. It can. It just won't do it very long. Well, gang, I am on a break, but when we get back, we'll talk more about this California poppy. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, today is all about you and your landscape here on New Southern Garden. We are answering your questions. I do apologize again. How many times have I apologized? I just feel bad that I didn't really plan things out well. Of course, January is one of the longest months of the year. And I always try to answer questions on the last week of January. But I did a two-parter on how to start your new landscape, whether you have a new house or an old house, you just want something new. And of course, you can check those episodes out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. But of course, we've been answering Nancy's question from Pooler, Georgia. Um, She really wants to know, she's been researching poppies and is looking for white poppies and asking if we can grow them here in the South and of course, if they are perennial. 
And in short, the poppies are not very good perennials for the South. Uh, most poppies, particularly the ones we've talked about, are going to love cool temperatures and do not like warm nights um, and the heat. They do need sun. They do like sun. But of course, sun in the South is much different than sun in other places. Um, in higher zones than us, but we were talking about the California poppy, which you will find quite readily. It's quite readily available on any seed rack that you may come across, whether you're at a local garden center or, of course, a big box store. And, of course, you will uh, see these California poppies. Sometimes they're in their own little packet, but a lot of times they are mixed in as a wildflower mix. And that's two different ways you could grow it. If you just want the poppies, the California poppy, you can buy the seed pack for those. Or if you think you'd want to incorporate it into a planting with other uh, wildflowers, then you may go with a wildflower mix. But regardless, the, the California poppy is listed at zone 6 to 10, which is perfect for us because of course many of us are going to be in that range uh, maybe right in the middle of it of course most areas around here are sevens and eights and if anything we would say they are a short-lived perennial in zone eight to ten they may not be very perennial in zone six or seven maybe seven b but they may return year after year for uh, just a few years i mean a short-lived perennial maybe two to three years if they like their climate and their situation in your landscape so Nancy, this may be a good selection for you. And when it comes to the California poppy, the main color, unfortunately, the main color is not white. The main color of California poppy is an orange. It's a bright, vivid orange, probably one of the best oranges you'll find. But through the help of modern horticulture breeding programs, I guess, and just gardeners saving seed and selecting, we do see that even though the California poppy is mainly a single flower, a single blossom with just a small number of petals, uh, maybe four, you may find some semi-doubles and doubles when it comes to the California poppy. And also, there is a spray of colors, including white. So, Nancy will talk about a variety that I found that is a nice white California poppy. And then there are the pinks and the reds, lilac and purples. You may also find those. I doubt that you will find this kind of selection of California poppy on seed racks, unless they're kind of a niche seed rack company, maybe. But you can find, of course, a plethora of things on mail order catalogs, but of course, particularly on the internet. You can find almost anything for sale on the internet, and uh, California poppy is no exception. So if you're looking for something that may be more suitable for growing during the summer months here in the South, look into the California poppy and maybe check out some of the different color varieties that they have and blossom forms as far as doubles and semi-doubles go. So Nancy, the probably one of the whites that I found that's maybe more common, you could find, I saw it on Eden Brothers, which is a seed company. Uh, but I don't necessarily uh, advertise for them. Of course, they're not a sponsor. We'd love to have them, but um, I just happened to find this one online. It's Ivory Castle. Ivory Castle California Poppy, and it's a nice, it's a single petal flower, but it's a nice white. It was pure white. Uh, it looked like there were some that maybe had a creamy, buttery color to them, not quite white, not quite yellow. Uh, that may work for you as well. So in summary, when it comes to growing poppies in the South, it is... We're kind of limited. Um, we're limited to maybe the kinds we can grow, but more specifically, we are limited to the time of year that we can grow them in. When it comes to most poppies, including Flanders poppy, 
opium poppy, oriental poppy, and definitely the uh, Iceland poppy. These are poppies that you would probably want to start in your fall, late summer garden, seed them out. That's the most common way to acquire poppy plants, unless you go into a plant nursery that's growing them out. And then, of course, um, you would plant them in the fall and let them grow all, all winter long, and they would bloom for you in the latest part of winter, earliest part of springs, spring when temperatures start to rise. Then, of course, the exception is the California poppy, which actually doesn't love the winter weather. Uh, it's coldest zone it can live in is zone six, which tells us that we need to start this one in the spring and let it grow all summer long. And by incorporating this into your wildflower gardens or maybe into your pollinator landscape uh, around the vegetable patch, this would be a great plant to do that with. And California poppy in the lower zones, maybe zone eight to 10, might be treated as a short-lived perennial. It can get too cold for this plant, so the warmer areas, of course, are going to like it's a California poppy after all you know California is is not quite like our climate but we're both hot we're both warm places and so by doing that uh, planting in the spring you will have better success at growing the California poppy poppies 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 that's what the wicked witch of the west said i love poppies i just hate that we are sort of limited in what we can can grow them in i, I will say one last uh, little anecdote little story when i was in plant school <laughs> we did learn about some of the poppies uh dr alan armitage who's a big name in horticulture of course he was a uga professor wrote the book on perennial plants and annuals biennials things like that um Taking his perennial class, we would tour certain gardens, private gardens. We were allowed backstage access into the private landscapes of the Athens horticulture elite. But anyhow, we would go into these uh, gardens and look at plants. And, and he knew, of course, the people who were there and the plants they had. And it corresponded with the plants we were learning. And when we got to the poppy section, I remember going to this very beautiful garden, just a small kind of downtown garden in Athens, not very big, but full of different plants. And there were some of these oriental or maybe um, maybe they were the somniferum poppy, the opium poppy, and they were just they were growing. There were just a few, just a handful in that garden. But these were the examples that he showed us and used. And he said, you know, we really don't have much success with poppies here in Athens, Athens, Georgia. He said, but this gardener has been growing them in a container, uh, and that may have helped. So try to grow your poppies in a container. Um, what you could do, of course, is on the coldest of nights, if you're growing them in a container over fall and winter, is bring the container into a crawl space or a garage, a sunroom, just for the night to keep them a little bit warmer, and then bring them out. Because that warmth, just having the warmth, now they don't mind the cold, but having that warmth is going to push them to grow a bit bigger over the winter, and that's going to stimulate them to bloom better before it gets too hot and they just wither away and disappear. So maybe try to grow some of these uh, cooler, loving uh, poppies in a container over the winter. They, Like I said, they could handle being out in the cold, but by just increasing their warmth by a little bit or, or, or maybe creating a cover for them over their container or a cover for them if you're growing them in the ground. I know that that seems a bit overkill, and maybe it is, but if it's really important to grow poppies out and to get them growing in your landscape, that'd be great. But I do think, Nancy, that if you're looking for particularly white poppies that are going to be somewhat perennial, perhaps look for white varieties uh, or cultivars of the California poppy. 
Thanks again, Nancy, for your question. You have definitely made this show very special. Now, on to a different kind of plant material. That would be the fruits, the fruit world. Of course, fruiting plants are wonderful because not only are most of them beautiful, I should just say all of them are beautiful plants. Uh, They also produce something for you that you can eat. And we travel north from here into Virginia, Chesterfield, VA, where Larry, Larry says that he has a peach tree. A beautiful peach tree. The, the, the trees look great. Um, he says that, let me get my question here. He says, um, there it is. Uh, my peach trees bloom beautifully in the early spring. They have very nice small peaches. However, they all fall off when they are about the size of a plum, question mark, question mark. So I think the question here from Larry is going to be, why do these small, young peach fruits just fall off of the tree? I'm going to answer Larry's question, but I'm also going to answer questions uh, other people may have when it comes to fruits, like why are there no fruits or why do fruits drop off at a young age? So let's start off with the first part of my modified question that Larry sent in is, if you have fruit trees, why do we have no fruit? Why do we not see any fruit at all? Well, one of the first things my mind would go to as far as trying to diagnose a problem like this is pollination. Is pollination happening? So with some fruits, you do need a pollinizer. Now, a pollinizer is not an insect. A pollinizer is another plant that provides uh, plant A. So plant B provides plant A with pollen. And they may reciprocate that. Plant A may give pollen to plant B. So a pollinizer would be a partner. You know, we talk about all the time about growing certain fruit trees in pairs or maybe in threes. Because many fruit trees do need a pollinizer. They need a partner in order to set uh, that flower into into a fruit. That is not the case with peaches. So we can already scratch this off of Larry's problem. Peaches are self-pollinated. They use their own pollen on the same plant to pollinate their flowers. Now, let's go ahead and define the difference between a pollinizer and a pollinator. A pollinizer is another plant providing pollen. But a pollinator is going to be an insect, or it may be the wind, because the wind can pollinate many plants. But of course, in the world of fruit trees, a lot of times the pollinator are some kind of insects, whether it's bees or whether it's butterflies or whatever. So with that being said, this is not your problem, Larry, because uh, the peach tree should be able to pollinate itself. But if someone else is dealing with the fact of a fruit tree that's not setting fruit at all, you may want to do some research and make sure that you have enough genetically different pollen on other plants that can be used to pollinate uh, your fruit trees. Now, two things that may be affecting Larry's tree is natural thinning. Natural thinning. So, if all of the flowers that are produced on a peach tree are pollinated, successfully pollinated, and they all start to develop and grow, then the plant naturally drops off a certain number of fruits. Sometimes at a young age, it could be all of the fruits, but the plant realizes that it has, it doesn't have a brain. Of course, all these are through chemical uh, hormones that are signaling to the plant. 
And the hormones are telling the plant, okay, you've got too many fruits that, that you really can, can bear. Um, so with that being said, particularly over the month of June, they may drop their fruits. They may drop a certain number or depending on the age of the plant, they may drop all of them. Now, this is a natural fruit drop. Now, I know that this is not part of your problem, Larry, but I will maybe mention this at this point for folks who may have this problem is after June, if you notice that your plants have dropped uh, a number of fruits, um, you may need to thin them out even more. You may need to thin the fruit tree even more. Ideally, a mature fruiting plant, this is just a general statement, but a mature fruiting plant shouldn't really have three or four, uh, any more than three or four fruits on one given branch. So if you look up and down the branch and you see 15 on that branch, you need to get it down to just three or four because those fruits will be bigger. If you have a lot of extra fruits, you'll have small fruits. If you have fewer fruits, you'll have bigger fruits. When we get back, more on helping Larry with his peach fruit problem. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, have you tried to grow fruit trees of any kind and had some issues, particularly issues with the plant dropping all of its fruits? Uh, Well, that is the case in Chesterfield, Virginia, because Larry has written to New Southern Garden um, via NewSouthernGarden.com on the contact us page. And he says he's got a uh, peach tree, trees that bloom beautifully in the spring, but then they produce fruits and they are small, nice little fruits, and then they drop. Well, there are a number of reasons why this may occur, and there are some things you can do to try to help this. Um, But of course, a lot of times this is just part of the nature of things, and we're getting into that point uh, pretty soon. Before the break, we were talking about natural thinning, that a fruit tree, uh, particularly as they start developing their fruits, they realize, oh, I can't bear all of these fruits. This is just too much for me to handle. And especially if it was a good year for pollination, if they were pollinated well and set fruit well, uh, there may just be too many for the plant to balance itself out. It's sort of this equilibrium thing, right? Where you've got to have the equal amount of input as output. So with that being said, usually it's in June. We see that fruit trees generally drop Year to year, they'll drop a number of fruits. Sometimes it's all of the fruits um, if there's a problem going on. Uh, Or maybe if the plant is too young, uh, which we'll get into in a second. And so with that being said, um, thinning your fruit tree is an important thing. If you are trying to grow fruit trees and you get a bumper crop of pollination and you have 
just bundles and bundles and globs and globs of fruit up and down the branches. Well, if you leave all of those fruits on the tree, uh, the tree will continue to try to support them. They will continue to try to feed them and grow them. Uh, but you will have very small fruits because all of the energy is being distributed to a large number of fruits. So by thinning them, you are, yes, reducing the number of fruits, but then you've got the same amount of energy being distributed to a lesser number of fruits, and that will create larger fruits. Um, it's not necessarily the reason why June drop happens. That's more just to balance out the plant itself. So if you realize, say, in May and the early part of June that uh, you may need to thin your plant, just wait until June has passed or maybe near the end of June and see if the plant naturally drops some of these fruits. And then you can go in and thin the fruits to about three to four fruits per branch. You don't need really any more than that. If you equally distribute those branches with three to four fruits on each branch, then you will have, yes, a lesser number of fruits, but you will have bigger fruits that are more edible. There will be more flesh to the fruits that you do have. Now, the last reason why uh, Larry's a peach tree may be dropping its fruit is its maturity. Um, you describe, Larry describes his peach tree as very beautiful, and well, rather they bloom beautifully. Huh. A lot of bees there. They bloom beautifully, but I would like to ask the question, how long has your fruit tree been growing? How old is it? Um, it is very true that grafted fruit trees Fruit trees that have been propagated by grafting, which again, uh, or not again, but <laughs> which is the simple action of taking a branch from one mature fruit tree and putting it on top of a rootstock of another plant. Grafted plants will produce fruits at a sooner date than plants grown from seed. If you have grown a peach tree from a peach pit that you ate from the grocery store or the market, it may take a decade or more for that plant to actually start fruiting or blooming. But then, of course, grafted varieties can bloom sooner, um, maybe within four years of being grafted. So it really dramatically cuts down the, co the cost of time there. So when we bring uh, fruit trees into the nursery, these fruit trees are probably already four years old. They've all been grafted. They're on semi-dwarf rootstock, so the plant will stay smaller. But usually we see fruit set in the pot uh, that we're selling the plant in. So if you have recently purchased a fruit tree, you uh, you, you may get blossoms, they may bloom beautifully, as Larry says, uh, but if they're still at that young age, they may be trying to develop a root system, uh, maybe trying to develop more infrastructure, like more branches and what, and they're dedicating. The plant itself is dedicating its resources to producing a stronger plant before it produces, uh, you know, allows the plant to produce fruits. Now, it is true that plants, just like all living creatures, the main goal is to procreate, is to produce offspring. So that is going to be prioritized. But in the fact that maybe there's a problem in the root system or a problem trying to grow new leaves and branches, then the plant may balance out that energy distribution and try to start growing the parts that it needs or the parts that it's struggling with and drop the fruits because 
producing fruits takes a lot of energy. Producing, reproducing, producing flowers, uh, producing fruits takes a lot of energy from the plant. And so it may be trying to dedicate that, maybe because it's at a young age, or maybe there is some other underlying issue, and it very well could be below the soil. So again, um, in this situation, I think there's a couple of things here. Maybe it's just natural thinning, the plant trying to not bear as many fruits, or if any, uh, because it's trying to grow, maybe to the fact that it's still relatively young. And I don't really have an age that would say this is definitely when a fruit tree is ready to go. Uh, it may be on a plant-by-plant basis, particularly if there's some other underlying problem. If there is a problem in the root system, If maybe the plant has been suffering from some damage along the stem, maybe from a weed whacker or some kind of uh, mechanical device, a lawnmower, something hitting the the trunk of the plant, maybe trying to heal. Um, So there could be some some damage issues. There there could be disease issues. Of course, fruit trees in the south do struggle with the heat and humidity of trying to keep diseases away. Of course, there's very few over winter, um, but it is a good idea to go ahead and use a dormant oil pretty soon because the buds will probably be cracking in the next four to eight weeks or so. So I I do think that some of this, Larry, could be just natural, particularly if it's a young plant, and it could also be natural um, if there is a natural response, at least, if there's some underlying issue going on. But there are a couple of things you can do to maybe alleviate a situation like this. Um, there is a, a spray that you can utilize, and this is not necessarily a chemical spray. Of course, all things are chemicals, I guess. Even water is a chemical. Uh, but this is a, um, a plant hormone. So this is a hormone, a chemical hormone that is already being produced by plants. It's called cytokinin, cytokinin. And this is a hormone that signals to the plant to produce flowers and to set fruits. It doesn't really seem like you have the problem of producing flowers or setting fruits. However, uh, this may help to hold those fruit sets on a little longer. Sometimes this is marketed as a bloom set spray. A lot of times it's marketed as a tomato blossom set spray, which is not just for tomatoes. It can be for anything. And then, of course, the other product you could use is a fertilizer that is higher in phosphorus and potassium. Plants need all the nutrients all the nutrients that fertilizers provide, uh, but nitrogen is not really critical to producing fruits or, um, or flowers. It's more of the phosphorus and potassium that help out with that. So maybe in the spring when things get going and the buds start cracking open, you give it a fertilizer that is higher in the P and the K, the phosphorus and the potassium, and you may see some decent results from that. Well, gang, we have run out of time, but I do appreciate Nancy and Larry. I hate that I couldn't get to other questions. You know how long-winded I am. But if you have a question, check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, Facebook, Instagram, and now YouTube. I hope that today's program has helped you determine if you can grow poppies in your landscape and what you can do if you have fruit tree problems. So for New Southern Garden and WRWH, my name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 